He's a big buck killer. He can't be denied. He goes up there to Iowa and hangs out in the bomb shelter all night. He gets up early in the morning with him and his pops. They go walking across that prairie. They holler, hey, hey, get up out your bed. My uncle's waiting over the hill to shoot you in the head. All right, everybody, talk about it outdoors. Second part of the episode with Jason Lewis. We're live in the studio. We're feeling right. Nick Wilson with a good rhyme. He kicked off the other day out of the deer stand. It's going to be a Big good bug night. Killer. He can't be denied. Oh, goodness gracious alive. It's been a lot of fun. We're excited. We're ready to get this thing underway. And without further ado, as before, I'm going to introduce the man, the myth, the legend, Lone Wolf Custom Gear and Whitetail Addiction Pro Staff member Jason Lewis. Welcome back, man. It's good to have you here. Appreciate you guys having me on, Alex. Always a good time with y'all. Yep, yep. And so... After you listened to the first episode, I hoped everybody pumped their brakes and got it in good and put it down on paper because Jason's threw out tips that I'll be honest with you, I didn't know. Nope. He brought to the table a lot of good information that I hope everybody took away with them. And uh, I can't wait to get into what's going to be the rest of this segment and the rest of this episode. So, Cody, Nick, glad to be back with you here. Jason, I appreciate you coming back on. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be with us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. So, where we left off, you'd went through the first part of the season. Uh, Excuse me. You had went through what your key to success was in the first part of hunting season you went into the rut you gave us some key pointers as what would be successful in the second part of the season now we're going to go into late season and i'm going to start it right off and ask the question what do you feel like are some keys to success when you get into late season it uh obviously depending on where you're hunting in georgia late season can be a lot of fun i think our rut has trickled into a lot of december and i think a lot of y'all would agree with that there's a lot of chasing still happening in december and some of my best georgia bucks have come in december right you don't have to key in on the food source so much as you do in the midwest because these deer aren't trying to survive mother nature's Mm. winners like they are in illinois okay so it's the two different we might have to answer this two different ways alex so kind of a double edged, a little bit of a double yeah so so in georgia what i'm looking for is i'm obviously looking for a food source um i'm also looking for a different bedding area what happens down here is we've got all these hardwood hollers that become desolate barren wastelands after about the second week of november the white oaks are dried up the squirrels and coons and turkeys have gotten to the red oaks what is that hardwood draw really good for late season is it a travel corridor? Are they sticking to the pines? Are they eating mushrooms that are just starting to come up? There's a whole lot of different browse and stuff that we have down here. Hedgerow, privet, greenbrier. That's what I focus on in Georgia. It is a food source, but if they're still chasing does, I'm trying to find those doe groups. You ever notice late season here, we start getting like 10 or 15 does sometimes, like yes. just all grouped up together. If they're still chasing and I see a picture where they're flicking tails and they seem to be moving, uh, I'm looking for a, a transition zone between some bedding. Midwest, it's all about the food source, and it's also all about less is more. You're going to get seen because we don't have any standing corn now. All the beans have come out. You better watch your entry and exit to that stand, and you better be careful going in there in the morning. So a lot of times late season, I might sleep in and not go into the stand till 12, but I'm going to sit there till dark. Well, as everybody likes to uh, sleeping in, I like to catch the sleep. But when you move in, you're talking about sleeping in. If you're going for an afternoon hunt, are you waiting until 2 o'clock to go to the stand? No, I'm going earlier than that. A lot of times on those cold days where the temperature's not getting above freezing, they're going to start hitting that food source early. It can be 12, 1 o'clock, and by, you know, 3, you may have 30, 40, 50 deer in the field. It's, it's a sight to see. I really enjoy hunting late season. To me, 
if there's a buck you hadn't got killed that you've honed in on, you know he's still on the farm and you've got some sort of food source, that's a great time to kill him. Maybe even uh, maybe even more so than the rut, in my opinion, because that old belly's got to get full. He knows winter's coming. He knows he's lost weight chasing does, and that that's just a really good time to be in the woods. But I don't like to hunt mornings that time of year. I've, I've made that mistake. I was on that out-of-state hunt. It's a late-season hunt. I'm going in in the morning, and I'm running deer off the field. A lot of times if, if my camera's telling me he's coming out in the field, then, yeah, let's go hunt the morning. You know, follow what your camera's telling you. But a lot of times if you'll wait till gray light, okay, so don't go in before dark in that food source and take a chance at blowing deer out. It's funny. A lot of times that time of year you'll see deer right at daylight that will be on the field, and then they'll ease off the field. And then all of a sudden there's a few minutes there where there's not a deer on that late-season food source. That's when you go to the stand. And then 10 minutes later, they start funneling back out again. It's just this transition, weird transition period right at daylight. If you can play that right and, and you do have a buck showing up in the morning, then go hunt him. But for me, it's mostly been afternoons. Man, so, go ahead, Cody. Man, you talk about getting out of your comfort zone. It's tough. Sleeping in yeah. and not getting in there. Everybody thinks, you know, i got to get in there an hour, hour before daylight. That's a, that's a hard thing to – it, it, it takes is. a lot of – yeah, man, that's a lot of knowledge. Well, as you said previously, you don't have a uh, a whole lot of confidence. Well, let me rephrase that. You don't have a whole lot of desire to hunt a deer you've targeted in on during the rut. And that deer has chased does all over the country. He, he's, he's made it back. And when you're hunting late season, you have the potential to catch that deer like you did in early season coming from that bedding area moving to a direct food source. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like that's a, that's a key thing that, you know, we as hunters in the in the in the southeast can learn from because these deer have been out ranging all over hell and creation yes, trying sir. to find a doe and they're going to get back to those core bedding areas that they came into out of velvet in those early season moments pre-rut or whatever it may You're be exactly right and they don't like to travel far right okay so the the hard part about hunting a bedding area late season is you're not now hunting just one buck in that bedding area there could be 20 deer within an acre because they're staying close to food. They don't need to move far. They know what's going on. They're burning carbs, and, uh, you know, they got to get all the protein and carbohydrates they can to make it through that winter. They don't want to move far. So if you're going to try to get to a buck, just make sure you're, you're careful and you know he may or may not be the only one in there because there could be 20 deer surrounding that deer that you can't get to, you know. So we went through early season. We went through mid, mid-season. We went through late season, and we've kind of gave a, 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 a comparison of each one as it pertains to – know getting in there and getting this deer killed or whatever it may be what do you feel like is the the most from day one of your hunting career or or let's not even say that let's say when you became a mature hunter because at this point in your career i'm I'm sure you feel like you're you're a mature learner you're always learning always learning but you're a mature hunter in your in your career what do you feel like is some game-changing innovations or um, improvements in the hunting history, industry as it pertains to equipment that we're able to use today that's changed the game for you? Um, the first would be cellular trail cameras. My goodness. I mean, give wow, me 12 yeah. AA batteries and a SIM card and a little plan <laughs> for $5 a month, and I'm going to sit 960 miles away at my office and get pictures. That That's a game-changer. I mean, that is a real game changer. And what brand do you prefer? You know, I was always covert for a long time. They were kind of the pioneers of the cellular one, and then a lot of people kind of uh, started following that suit. And now, um, you know, I think in the next five years, there won't be a camera 
that doesn't have a cellular capability. I think that's where the whole industry is headed. Mm-hmm. But this year alone, I started using the Tacticam reveals. They were 99 bucks. You get them at Tractor Supply. Now you can't even find them. Hardly people are selling them on eBay for 150 bucks. But uh, I'll give a shout-out to Tacticam. The Verizon or the AT&T ones, they take great pictures. I run mine on 12 megapixel because I need the longest battery life I can get. I don't need the most crispest, clear picture, okay? Once I identify a shooter or, or a buck that I'm going to target, as long as it's a 12 megapixel and I know it's him, I want the battery life at that point. And I, with the tactic. Go ahead. You want to go ahead? No, I just want to ask him real quick. How many he runs through the season? Ooh. If my wife's listening, four. <laughs> <laughs> with us and the boys late night studio, I usually run about 15 to 16 cellular cameras. And are you going so without going into too much detail, are you are you running them on the maximum plan, the unlimited, or are you running them on a lesser plan on a on an expanded time frame? Um because you can go in and change the settings. Early season I usually put it three minutes between intervals. I I don't want to see a corn pile with a thousand pictures of raccoons and turkeys and 200 i don't have time to go through all that so i change it as the season goes if early season i put it on two or three minutes but during the rut i want a three second a three shot burst and i want it every 30 seconds because i don't want to miss what's behind that dough and i will take the time to sift through those pictures because that's when your new book is likely going to show up on your farm now even still you're getting those pictures sent to your phone Correct. do you find yourself going to those trail cameras and pulling the sim card to get because on the on the two on the tacticam it takes a two-picture burst. Correct. On those pictures, it sends you the second picture. Right. So if you've got it set on 24 megapixel, the camera may be taking that and only sending you an, uh, an 8 or a 12 or whatever it may be. It doesn't send past that to you. Correct. Have you found yourself finding more detail by going and checking those SIM cards even still? I haven't. I, I so, haven't either. I haven't, and it's so far to go to these farms. You know, like I said, we're, we're traveling from the southeast to most of the farms in the Midwest. I just use what it sends me. Yeah. What and, I have found is that i got to get up about 30 minutes earlier in the morning to start my ritual because i got got 100,000 pictures, it seems like, to sift through and i'm like a kid at christmas i mean oh, yeah. when that thing sends one at night when they first came out i bet you ashley thought i had a, a, a girlfriend on the side she's <laughs> like why are you looking at your phone at one two three and four in the morning i'm like babe you won't believe this hbt he's there right now he's on the, she's like would you turn over shut up and go back to sleep but it was that new innovation that we're talking Absolutely. about that's helped us get real-time intel on these deer and keep tabs on them no now, all 15 or 16 of those cameras, like you were talking about in the first episode, do you put all of them up high? Do you take those climbing sticks with you and put all of them up high? I start with that. A lot of times I'll start with that on a bait pile where I'm just getting a profile picture. I'll leave one, usually at five feet, but I will put a second camera away from that, 30 or 40 yards up in a tree. And you'd be surprised the bucks that show up on that second camera that's up high that never come to that corner pile. It's am- It amazes me every year. It is, it is, and we're, me and Watson were talking about this the other day. I had a cell camera out, and I said, man, ain't, no, ain't nothing showing up, and this is Georgia, and he said, man, just go hunt it. Don't worry about that. So, Camera does only tell half the yeah. truth. We yeah. always got to remember that, you know. Yeah. It, 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 probably less than half. Yeah. I mean, I have found myself sitting in a tree and may have not have been a target buck that I was after, but I have found myself sitting in a tree. I, I caught myself earlier this year sitting in a tree, and a deer walked. This is a area that I've had – a feeder on and i've hunted this area and i've had a camera on this area i had a six-pointer a young six-pointer he's been educated somehow but he found a way to go around Mm -hmm. behind my stand and he never went to that camera i had never seen this six-pointer on camera now given it's a young buck 
But think about what those big target bucks are going to do as it pertains to, you know, getting around that camera. So um, let's go into, you know, I know you're with uh, Lone Wolf Custom Gear. I know they provide a great product as far as the weight distribution and the things they put out there. As far as innovation with them, have you seen a big change with the the equipment that they put out? You know, the weight difference and just getting away with with a slimmer profile platform, I think has been the biggest thing. It's hard to beat a one-piece cast aluminum tree stand. I mean, that is as solid yeah. as they get. I'm a bigger guy. I want a bigger stand. They have a .5 out now that's even got a lower profile. Uh, I'm scared to put myself in that. I like the <laughs> 1.0. I probably will one day. Um, but just having the ability to go move a stand that weighs under 9 pounds with all my stuff, the way I have it set up, um, that's a game changer. I mean, I have toted climbers, okay, all over God's green earth down in South Georgia, and that wore me out with no backpack on it. Even the, even when some y'all remember when they went from steel to aluminum, oh yeah, and yeah. that was like a huge game changer. For, but it still weighed what thirteen pounds, twelve, mm-hmm. whatever it was. So, um, staying mobile and using their their equipment, the new pocket arm that they have out, I have to give a shout out to that. It weighs less than two pounds. It's got three That's sections. That's your camera. In it. That's my camera arm that I attached to the tree for self filming uh, forever. I couldn't stand having a bulky camera arm. It took up so much room in the backpack. And I'm always trying to run my camera, and that was one of the things that I wish, you know, sometimes I could just leave in the truck because right. it weighs yeah. so much. So their their innovation, um, they've always tried to stay on top of the game. Andre was, he had the patent on the one-piece cast aluminum tree stand with Lone Wolf tree stands for a long time before he sold it. So uh, their family's been in that business and been innovators for a long, long time. Now, do they, they make the separated sticks? Yes. The climbing sticks, I yes. do. Is that what you use? Yes, I use the doubles. They make singles. They make short stacks. They make um, longer singles. I use the double set. I like I'm going to go into the I being like a bigger them. guy. Yes, exactly. Did and it the, take Did it take a while for you to get used to the separated sticks? No, uh, I've used the actual Lone Wolf or XOP sticks forever, like the Hawks or the Novix that have you know yeah. one one side on each one. I've used those for so long. It but them just me. being separated, and not one long. 20 foot run of sticks does that did that ever make you nervous a little bit yeah yeah but i always start with two two screw in steps you always start with i two do sc- i like to go two screw in steps real quick and then i start my sticks going up okay and those last two steps getting off there i know i'm looking for those two screw in steps if it if it's a lease that permits me to and what are the, those sections three. are what typically three foot um these are actually like 18 inches they're they're a very slim profile okay. okay but they make what's called a cable aider and all it is is a big loop cable and you get them in 17 14 17 18 inches something like that and they loop off the bottom with the same nut so you can put your foot in that to get to that double stick and that's strong. that's what i was going to ask you about is aiders so i just ordered a set of am still aiders yep to use and i use hawk sticks i i prefer the i prefer the 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 three step as compared to the two step mm-hmm. i can go with three uh, a three three step and i i feel like the double step aider I, i've never used them before so i'm kind of curious i caught them on one of the saddle hunting pages yep. uh, a guy was selling a pack of three for like 30 bucks so it was in their am still they're ones that you know the guys had put together the themselves. Chain, yeah. right right and i had never used them before so i was going to ask you if you'd ever use the aiders and how you felt about them. i actually like them I, you know i'm 225 on the hoof so i want something that's solid that's I mean, a big boy yeah it is <laughs> I mean, and with your legs alex as long as they are you know you can get up a little right right he, yeah he you uses know. three steps and gets 27 that's foot. what i'm saying i mean yeah yeah his his wingspan yeah. always amazes me when we're shooting boats but uh i've been really pleased with that and just again being able to stay mobile i can't emphasize it enough um and getting down and being able to scout 
But when you're scouting, if you've got to stand on your back and you see that spot that you just know it's time to get in a tree, you're there. You've got it all on your back. Do you uh, do you wear a safety harness? I do. I do. That's something we talked about on our previous episode was was something that, you know, we feel like is, is a – is a must-have item. And yeah. so we're going into to carrying equipment. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't wear one in a climber. I do not wear one in a ladder stand. And the only time I wear one is in a lock-on. Why don't you wear one in a climber? I just I, I don't feel like I need one. I got that rail around me. I feel safe. Um, that's a good question. Put that I, thing on. I probably yeah. you should. Got, you got two kids that's at home. We, that's I, what we you, And as much as you hunt. I've dropped the bottom out of my climber before. Well, I had as, to bear as a bear and, you know, looked at my, my wrist, skin up to death, trying to climb down a tree like a bear. Uh, that's a good question. I don't know, but I don't hunt out of a climber anymore. Well, that's true. I, I mean, mean, you probably have found yourself. Right, right, now, right, so. would you, right. Would you put that, would you put that uh, safety harness on if you had to go back and hunt out of one of those worn sweats? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you remember the first safety harnesses? that uh, The first one I ever oh. had, it was a loop nylon, and it was a loop nylon that went underneath your yeah. arms. It wasn't yeah. a harness. It was just no. a strap yeah. that you hooked yourself into. I love into. the ones that Millennium sends with their stands that you need a, a degree from Georgia Tech to unravel and get <laughs> right, around right, you. You know, yeah. I'm like, how in the world does yeah. this thing? I'll have that thing twisted up and look like a parachute. You know, <laughs> I had the I had the worn sweat that you could you can convert it from a rifle seat to a a bow hunting stand, and it's basically you just flop the platforms. I don't know if you guys ever used that, man. It was it was scary. Yeah. Well, very scary. we used to use There's, the old buckshot climbers where you actually face the tree or you could face against it and slide the seat. Yeah. We'd be up there 40 feet not think a thing of it. You <laughs> hey, know? You ever, what about a predator? Oh, I know the predator. When you stepped off that base platform over onto your uh, lazy board recliner that was the predator, I have had that base fall to the bottom of the stand or the bottom of the tree I don't know how many times because my ignorant butt didn't tie it in yeah. when I got up. I was like, oh, I forgot to tie that in. Oh, well, Dad, he'll come find me. They say me. the predator's about the most comfortable. Oh, it's absolutely, but yeah. it takes it, it weighs forty pounds, and it takes a a, a, a Chinese arithmetic scientist to, to get in there to put it together. <laughs> absolutely, and, you know these new safety vests are so they're not constrictive, and if you give yourself enough tether on the back, you know, to where you can get a shot around a tree and you can move, especially for bow hunting. Uh, they don't get in the way. You kind of get used to it after a while. Well, I feel like using the ropes with the the prussic knot, yep. um, it, it allows you yes. to adjust it at any point. And Absolutely. I found myself this year, even with a crossbow, not having to use a compound. I was on the opposite side of the tree, and I had to le- you know level it down yeah. so I could get my strap out of the way. So yeah, um, and that, and that's a great point you made. You know, Lone Wolf's made a lot of a lot of innovations in the industry, and and they seem to be a great group of guys to deal with. I know if you're involved with them, they got to be a good group of guys to be they are. to deal with. So shout out to Lone Wolf Custom Gear on that. Yes, sir. Um, I want to go into to a little bit about your you you know you've hunted all over the Midwest. You've hunted all over Georgia. What do you consider some of the most successful endeavors as it pertains to partnering up with people? Now, I know you're partnered with Whitetail Addiction. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So give me a little rundown as it pertains to, to how successful you've been after getting in touch with those guys. It's interesting. It feels, it feels like you just joined a Major League Baseball team because everybody that's part of that group is a serious hunter, and they go out of state multiple times a year uh, and – They've got a wall full of what I consider trophies to prove it. And what's funny is most of them live in the Midwest. They live in states where um, I don't want to say they take it for granted, but I do want to say that. They don't realize what it's like for a Georgia boy Mm -hmm. to go travel 900 miles to see a 150-inch deer because that might be the deer they've been passing. I have learned so much from that group of guys. It's been great for me. 
Uh, it's been like joining the team and just their knowledge and picking those guys' brains that have done this for years and that have figured it out and consistently killed big bucks. That's what's helped me the most. Yeah, I I I, I, I see the same thing when I'm when I first started going up there and even now sometimes you still talk to some of the locals and they're like, you drive all the way up here from Georgia to hunt. I'm like, yeah, we don't see the deer you guys have up, you know, at home. They and, don't grasp, and they it. they don't understand right. it. And, and and I even listen to different podcasts outside of of what we do. And and the guys from the Midwest, they like you said, they don't they don't they don't have to go nowhere. No, they got everything right there in house. Yeah, you still can't be landlocked. That's one thing I've learned. You got to have access to property to keep tabs on on bigger deer and to be able to watch them and allow them to grow to an age that you know, hits that number that you're looking for. Yeah. And being landlocked is probably one of the most frustrating things working in the Midwest, you know. Do you, after being up there so many years, do you still, you still knock on doors? Absolutely. You you do. I love to go to just a local hangout. Yeah. And find out who the farmers are. Yeah. And start talking to them. That's one of my favorite things. You know, honestly, now at at this point in my hunting career, obtaining permission on a new farm is about as fun as pulling back. It sure is, ain't it? Yeah. I mean, that part is just, it's the same chase and execution. I feel like a a lot of the times because I'm not able to get up there as much as we can and and we're not even that far away, but I feel like I can't give back as much as I should, you know, asking that permission, saying, hey, you care if I hunt there, you know. You know, I almost feel like I should be out there fixing fences. <laughs> you know, a little Southern hospitality goes a long way. Actually, yeah. like, why are you having me make three pecan pies to take with you up there? You're going to eat all? No, I'm not. I'm giving these back to people that have allowed me right. to hunt their right. property. And uh, they don't look at a bow hunter as a threat either. No. When you ask them to, for permission to hunt, a lot of times they think you're asking for firearm permission, right. you know, to yeah. gun hunt. Yeah. But then you say, no, I'm just going to sit back here with a stick and string for a little while. If you can give me written permission, that that's changed the game for me too. You know, they realize it's not a threat. You got a bow and arrow in your hand, you know? And I think the Southern hospitality goes a long ways for anything. Absolutely. Agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Not on that platform, but we, um, back when we were serious and hunting a lot of the coyote competitions, that was one of the biggest things that I love to do is there's no telling how many doors I've knocked on and how many no's I've heard, but those yeses and building those relationships with people, we still have permission to hunt their property. You know, they don't know us from Adam, um, just getting out there talking to those people. We hadn't had the opportunity. We hadn't had to yet in the Midwest, but that's, um, that is a lot of fun. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Gratifying. Getting, getting the permission to me is, is just as much fun as the chase for when you find that bucket. With them. Now, now do you, have you noticed a big difference, um, and from going up there in 2000 to 2020 now people being maybe used to be more generous than they were now or. About, I haven't. No, I have about the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you what: the farmers are doing okay. Yeah, <laughs> let me just leave it at that. They're yeah. doing just fine. You know, most of them are are making a good living, um, and they're. Well, I think happy what to. Nick meant was more: have you noticed uh, uh, people less apt to want to give you permission to hunt on their property? It has definitely gotten harder. Yeah, I, I felt. Yeah, I feel like when we and I, I think we covered this way earlier, but I feel like when we first started going up there in two thousand eight, I feel like that I seen more deer. But also there were less hunters, which that was during the recession. But now I feel like there's there's hunters everywhere. Yeah, and, absolutely. And I don't know if you've seen that down because you were there before recession. I don't know if you've seen that a difference in that, especially in Illinois. We talked about this. You yeah. guys talked about this on a on a previous episode. Um, the deer numbers do fluctuate, and EHD. I mean, we don't realize it down here what it does to the deer herd up there. My goodness gracious! I mean, to 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 go from a year where you've seen just multiple three, four, five-year-old bucks, whether you got a shot or not, you saw them. 
And then to go back and see that that number decline and just hard, you know, hunt hard to see a four year old, it takes a big toll on a lot of those areas up there. Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's I, bouncing back. So, bouncing off of that, and you're you've went through several several of your successes as it pertains to being in the Midwest. Give me a little insight into what's what's some of your failures. Oh my goodness! Man, and I, I know it's a countless list, but yeah, um, I I don't know if we'll necessarily call it failures, but What's one of your biggest regrets as not just in the Midwest, but what's one of your biggest regrets as a hunter? As a hunter, um, not being aggressive, just mm. sitting back, being comfortable, not lazy. I didn't know any better. Just not making a move, not making a change. I mean, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing with the same results, and that's what I was doing for years. That's Boy, a perfect answer. It really it is. is. Oh, yeah. It's, it's it the is. truth. Perfect. I mean, that. I, I had such a hard time breaking out of that comfort zone. It took every ounce of energy in my body to do something different, you know, whether it be making a move after I'd seen a big buck or, you know, hunting a bedding area. I mean, really? I just blew this deer out of here, and now you're telling me to hang? That that takes a lot of uh, either either brainless, you know, you, you it takes a lot of courage to make a move like that. My biggest failures were doing the same thing over and over. I would hunt the same stand all day long because I felt like that's what you had to do to be a diehard hunter. I want to sit here all day. I can go home and tell my buddies, I just I just did an all-day hunt. Well, that's great, Jason. What did you see? What did that do? Where were you hunting? You know, Were you hunting a bedding area? Were you hunting on the edge of a field all day where you saw movement for the first 30 minutes of daylight and the last hour of daylight? That's some of my biggest failures. And just being afraid to make a move and afraid to do something different, scared of the unknown. That's, I feel like I'm at church. <laughs> <laughs> It, 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 and it is no it's, it, it, it's speaking to my like i'm like it makes me want to it makes me want to because i've sat there for the last few years in illinois hunting in the midwest new i'll say new to the midwest three years that ain't nothing hunting a state and just getting in there and just scared to make a sound scared to be aggressive because I don't want to mess it up. Well, and part of it is where we all grew up hunting. Let's just let's just put the facts on the table. Georgia's bow season opens the weekend after Labor Day, and we don't quit shooting at those son of a guns till the <laughs> second weekend in January. That's now put that in the that's 120 days that our deer down here have been pressured right. and pressured hard. Now let's move, you know, seven and a half hours north. Now we don't start bow season until October first. The first firearm season's five days. Then we have a second and a third, and that's it for the entire year. They don't get pressured like our deer do, but we, coming from down here in Georgia, all of us sitting around the table, we're not used to that. We are scared to make a move, and that's what I'm saying. It took me years to figure that out. Like, man, Jay, you're making a mistake. You've got to be more aggressive. These deer will tolerate more. I'm not saying do something dumb, but press your luck. Get uncomfortable and watch what happens. It's, well, it's and that, and, and I think that that happened with Cody and I this year in in Illinois. We had hunted a particular area where I killed my deer, and I, I we waited till the last day at lunch. And he asked me, "What do you think we should do?" And I said, "We're moving into this bedding area." And we made that aggressive move. Now we had an opportunity. Cody's went through yep. it. He went through his, his failure portion of, of our early on episode where he had an opportunity to harvest a great buck. Mm-hmm. And we saw so many more deer. Now, when I say we moved into a bedding area, 150 yards tops, we moved. And we had an opportunity that I honestly don't believe we would have had an opportunity on any of those deer nope. had we stayed where we were at. Not made but we got down, we packed our stuff up. Now, we were in climbers. And as we know, we had to 
pick and choose, pick and choose. That We're not going to make that mistake nope. again. We're going to be in lock-ons and with those sticks on our backs and where we can move quick. Yeah. And we made the move in there, and we had to pick a certain tree. Would we have picked those trees had we been in there? Absolutely not. Because nope. we were looking for something we could put our climbers on. And we found some trees, but they weren't ideal. Whereas we had had you know, some sticks with some aiders and, and a lock on, we would have been able to get into a better position to put a set of spot to get one of those deer killed. Yeah. And yep. we can call it what it is. It's learning. Absolutely. And every absolutely. time we go in that's the woods, we're learning. That's what makes it fun. I mean, that's it, what we want to do. It absolutely is. The day I stop learning, I probably won't be on this show because I'm not going to have anything <laughs> else to talk about because we learn every year, and that's what makes this sport so fun to me is right. that you're never a master at it. I don't care if you've been doing this 100 years. You're going to learn something new every single year. It's the same thing with turkey hunting. Absolutely. It's the same thing with fishing. You're always evolving your game and learning more and more things. You go to a different place in a state to hunt, you're learning something there. You go to a different body of water, you're learning something there. It's always changing and ever evolving. And I feel like the benefit we have in today's society is we have platforms such as this to launch out and reach other people and share our, you know, our thoughts, our successes, yep. but not only our successes, but our downfalls. And we constantly go back to that. I don't want to know why you were successful at killing a 160 inch deer. Yeah. I want to know why you were unsuccessful at killing 140 inch deer. Exactly. Like when you, uh, let one fly on a Waleska buck that's looking at you, but you know better. So is mistakes. Yeah. Or, I will yeah. never forget that as long as I live and it's on video. Yeah, or you, oh, well, there's one on video, too, that I watched uh, my good old buddy sitting across from me over here that watched a deer come in on full alert, and he didn't name low on a buck at 35 yards. It dropped, the deer drops a foot. I got it on camera, the deer dropping a foot. He hits that high no man's land. We track the deer for 100 yards, and then we catch him crossing a field at at Mach 10, and we never find the deer, you know. And the funny part is we all like to say those moments imprint on us, and we won't do it again, but you better be careful saying you won't do it again because when that big buck walks in, it's – you don't, most of the time, you don't have time to think. You really don't have you time don't. to think. And I'd almost prefer that. I don't want time no. to think. I yeah. want to be a robot. I want everything that I've played in my mind to happen just like it should. I want my entire shot process with a bow to happen without thinking. And that's why we practice it that way. Um, but when that big one steps out, yeah. I mean, it, it's anybody's game at that point. Well, to touch one last thing on getting out of your comfort zone, I think when you go to the Midwest, too, you want to see – when and we talked about this earlier in the episode real quick, but – you want to be able to see because you've never been there. You want to see and you want to see far and you want to see. That's right. Talking about when we moved into a bedding area, our furthest shot, my furthest shot was 35 yards maybe. And those deer were just popping out of everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, buck after buck after buck. And so talk about getting out of your comfort zone, get in there with them. Get in know. top of them. Get yeah. in on, get uncomfortable. I mean, yeah. get in there, get on top of them and watch what happens. It's yeah. fun. It makes it fun. Now, if you're going to see deer, yeah, sit on the edge of a corner or bean field where you know there's a lot of deer coming. But if you're going to kill a specific buck or a target buck, get get uncomfortable. I think we talked about this earlier, talk, talking about if you go to the Midwest and you're new to there and you, you're scouting a piece of ground, the first thing you find is start finding some sign. You're finding some scrapes on the ground. I think you can start hunting those areas, and then you start moving closer, as you said. Yeah, get, you may be sitting on a 50-acre bean field that's got scrapes all around the corner, and that deer comes out 80 yards, move your lock on down 
Move your if you find a climbing a tree to get in, move it down. Yeah, zone in on it if you only got that week to hunt. Can you imagine what all our walls would look like if every time we found a scrape in a rug, we hung a stand and it was that easy? Oh, yeah, man. yeah. I mean, think about that yeah. for a minute. Yeah, but there's a time he's doing that. There's a time he's hitting that yeah. field, and it might be a short window. There's a buck in that area. <laughs> yeah. How many so. times in Georgia have you you found a scrape, hung on that scrape, and seen a buck come? check that scrape i've hung on the scrape but very little have i seen him check it i could count on one hand of all the hours i spent in the woods how many times i've actually seen a buck come check a scrape or a, or a horn tree how many times have you ever seen him horn that very same tree little, very little <laughs> and that that goes for anywhere in the I, I feel like once you find that sign in an area you know you've honed in on a buck's and that's the biggest thing i'm looking for when i if i go to a new piece i'm looking for horn trees scrapes and trails Maybe some deer, you know. But a lot of people, including myself in the past, will hang right on top of that. In the past, learn when I'm young, you know. Yep. And then wonder why I'm not seeing 10 bucks coming to check in that scrape. But I think what Jason touched on earlier that's made the biggest impact for me in this conversation and kind of solidified some of my thought processes, because you and I have talked a lot. You've spent time in the woods with me helping me find some of those bedding areas. Find their bedroom. Yes. If you find their bedroom, you may be – two, three, four hundred yards from it on a scrape line. You may be two, three hundred yards from it on a rub line, but when you find where they're bedding, Mm -hmm. and hey, we watched that happen this year. That deer that I killed was headed right back to his bedroom with a doe, and and fortunately, I had found a segue between his bedding and his food, and I feel like that's something that you taught me get to their bedroom early on and and i I, it's nice to hear that resonate because absolutely get in their bedroom well and on the previous episode we we kind of broke down early season the rut and then late season but guess what if you know where his bedroom is throughout all those seasons you've got to beat on the buck if you know where he's spending 90 percent of his time you can make a move and you can make a very strategic calculated decision on how you want to get in there with the right wind and kill that deer if you don't know where he's bedding and spending most of his time it's tough yeah. It's very tough. So you uh, you you keyed up on a point there that I wanted to bring up as far as uh, uh, playing the wind correctly. Run me down. Um, how do you how do you manage your scent control? Um, I don't use a lot of I don't use a lot of scents like dopey or anything. No, that no, I'm not. I'm, I'm asking my, like my cover scent control scent. cover scent. I don't use any cover scent. I I wash my clothes in one specific washer and dryer that has never seen anything but hunting hunting clothes stuff. Um, all of my stuff goes in scent lock bags when I travel. I do not wear the same clothes when I'm getting gas that I'm hunting in. I don't walk into a gas station that has fried chicken with my hunt clothes on. That's just, I, and a lot of times I'll change when I get to where I'm going to hunt. I just drop the tailgate, freeze for a few seconds and put my clothes on. Do you use, you, you said scent lock bag. Have you ever used any of the scent crusher bags? I have. Bags I like things? the scent crusher bags and I like the plug in. I use <laughs> that. that. Actually, that deer from 2016 was the first year I used that. I thought that ozone man. was going to run me out of the truck. I was yes. like, I don't remember how long I'm supposed to run this. So about Nashville, I thought, man, I better let the windows down. <laughs> this is, I'm starting to get a little lightheaded. I'm, I'm telling you, so I'm, I'm going to take this opportunity and talk about my preseason boat for just a second. Absolutely. This year, I was I was fortunate enough, uh, a good buddy of mine actually gave me a, a scent crusher bag and uh, with a scent crusher plug-in. And I said, you know what, this year, because growing up, it was – Spray down, spray down, spray down, spray down everything. That you when it touch. rains, you feel like you got wax yeah. all over you. Well, you freeze to death. Yeah. You spray everything yeah, in and you cold. get cold. So this year I said, I'm not using So I washed my stuff preseason, went back in my in my bag. Opening weekend, scent crushed my stuff. 
put it on, immediately left the house, got in the truck, all my gear in the back seat, scent crusher, running in the back of my truck on on that stuff. All right. That was my routine for four days. Every day I had deer. Now keep in mind I'm hunting, you know, I picked up a little piece of property, it's like ten acres. I'm hunting and I have deer around me every day. Rain set in that opening weekend, it kind of messed the pattern up of that deer. As soon as the weather went back to regular, him along with his bachelor boot group came in. I had six deer, two of which were underneath my stand eating ivy. Those bucks came up directly downwind, 12 yards I shot him, and I was telling Alex about it. And that was the only thing we used in Illinois. And I'm from now on, no scent, just be mindful don't you know? Don't eat anything crazy in the truck. Yep. Whatever. Yep. Get there with the littlest sin as possible on you, and just get in there. You know, That's with a hundred percent how I hunt now. I mean, Same so and, and and I saw it, I, and I'll be the first to tell you, I'm not a gimmick guy. Yeah, I don't. I, I I don't want to fall into gimmicks or or, or uh, what they advertise on TV. Well, and let's be honest. I mean, we're probably the most vulnerable group of sport oh yeah you know an outdoors enthusiast that there is i mean oh yeah if somebody thinks they can buy something to help them kill a big buck there's fixing to be a debit in the checking account yeah. i mean that's just the way it goes you know exactly but when i when i first cody introduced me to the whole scent crusher thing he every morning we would get up in his camper and he'd say give me your clothes i'm gonna crush them and the first day i was like whatever you know here's my clothes i'm yep. ill as it could be as a hornet in the morning i don't yeah. want to talk anyway here's my clothes we get in the truck, that ozone, that ozone spraying, and I'm like, oh, my God, what is that smell? You know, I can't. Yeah. Then I get in there, and I've got 15 deer around me, and I'm like, the wind's blowing to those deer. Why, yeah. why ain't they running right now? Mm-hmm. And they never winded me. And I honestly believe playing the wind was key in me killing that deer this year. But I killed that deer, and 15 minutes later, I had four deer that mm-hmm. I videoed while Cody's running down the tree trying to tear up hell to get to me. <laughs> These deer are right downwind of me. Yeah, Everything I had on was crushed. I didn't have on any sprays. I didn't have, And I had a scrape dripper out because I'm a scrape dripper fan. I like hanging them if I'm hunting in a new area whatever. But I had that crushed clothing on, and I honestly believe that played a critical role in everything we yeah. did as far as me being successful in seeing deer. Now, like I said, I killed my deer coming in the opposite direction off the field. The wind was playing to my favor in that. But with that crusher, and I, I feel like if you start that regiment, as you said, as getting in there, if you walk into your house and you smell something that doesn't smell natural, your senses immediately peak. Right. Yeah. And I feel like you go into somebody's into that deer's bedroom with smell on you uh-huh. of some sort, whether it's mm-hmm. fried chicken yep. or, or a Diet Coke or diesel whatever fuel. it is, diesel yeah. fuel on your boots, whatever it is, you're adding to your disadvantage on killing that deer. Absolutely. So that that's something I wanted to kind of ping you on because that's that's something that we've we've right. found ourselves being successful in and and, and scent crusher doesn't pay us a dime to do this yeah. but uh i'm gonna go ahead and tell you they're running a special right now for 249 you can get a bag two crushers a room and a rain suit which is or the shower that you put on before 249 go on there and pick it up before the year ends i'm, I'm telling you it's a great value and a great deal so Scent Crusher, if you hear this, holla at me. We'll get Jason Lewis on board. We'll, we'll, we'll get him to talk about it a little bit more. So I feel like that's a great thing to, to, yeah, to do. Right? I agree. I, I'm not a big scent guy. I just want to be as scent-free as possible right. when I go that in. Would... And I don't want to spray down 
especially when the relative humidity in Georgia in December can still be over 70% and sit there and shake because you're cold to your bone because yeah. you're wet. Exactly. And a lot of us grew up, I mean, I had walls, coveralls. It's all cotton. So guess what? Soaking, I'm freezing. Yeah. Soaking wet, you know, and it's, I thought that's what you had to do to kill a big buck. I didn't know any better. Yeah, you know? yeah, 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 and that's and, a that's a great point. And these days, sometimes you'll see pictures of me. I've got on Carhartt pants. I don't even wear full camo sometimes. Solid colors. Uh, I also think there's a. Um, I like comfortable camouflage. I like camouflage that somebody's put some thought into that cuts the wind off of me. But I'm not afraid to go into the woods in a pair of Carhartt pants and hunt either. Does not bother me one bit. That's, that's definitely that's, an interesting take. Yeah. Pump your brakes. <laughs> Wear the car hearts if you feel like it. Our grandpa's killed them in flannels for years in mechanic suits. Pump your brakes and put the car hearts on. <laughs> Back to you, Nick. <laughs> well, we're going to get into because uh, we're going to be posting the pictures of these two beautiful deer. We've already seen them on Facebook Live, so we don't have to go into too depth. But let's 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 start talking about what do you say, 2016 and 19? Yes, sir. Let's uh I say we hit 2016. I got three questions if you want to answer them of uh, the biggest scores cuz we know that you've killed some great deer. Send it. Um but let's start on two six, uh 2016 and I say just tell us the score, tell us how it unfolded and however you want to tell it. Uh we did not know that deer was 199 inches. Me, me and one of my buddies that's crazy as me that hunts out of town. Both east from Woodstock, old Ken, I got to give him a shout out. We looked at pictures and said, yeah, that's probably a booner. And we neither one of us put two and two together how big that deer was. So Ken wanted to go hunt another farm where he felt like there was a 200 plus inch deer. We didn't have confirmation of that, but from the years past, he thought that's where that deer was. My farmer said, you need to come with me and go up there and hunt. I get in a tripod that's 12 foot off the ground. It's one of those mobile tripods. Yeah. And I'm literally 70 yards from uh, a county dirt road. And I'm sitting there that afternoon, and I watch a school bus go by, the UPS driver, the county box blade operators waving at me <laughs> as they're going by. And the temperature started dropping, and uh, it started spitting rain. And I finally just put on my, my rain hood, and I turned and put my back to the road and just watched the corner of the field. And I thought, I cannot believe I'm wasting my time here. Well, I learned a valuable lesson. That deer stood up between me and the road. And worked his way right to me. And you didn't walk in from that way? I had walked right down the edge of that tree line, right to the cedar tree that I was sitting up against in that tripod stand. He okay. Was bedded, he was probably bedded 60 yards from that road. Wow. And he stood up between me and him and came straight to me. Now, what state was this? This is Kansas. Okay. Early season Kansas. Okay. North central Kansas. Um, I put a 50-yard shot on him. He ran 30 yards, plowed, and I started shaking because I remember all I could see was his head and a wall of tines. Every time he would lift his head to get a, a Milo bud, all you'd see is just multiple tines tip back. And I'd, I'd never seen a deer that caliber. I, I mean, it just the tine length on that deer blew me away. So I tried to quit looking at his horns, but when he's standing in a sea of Milo, that's all you can see. <laughs> yeah. he, you've now got to pick a spot somewhere on his, you know, on his chest. So and when you're when you're looking over that Milo, are you seeing a lot of deer? You can see a lot of deer. The are, does are, are they running the field edge? Do you have like an eight or ten foot strip between the the tree edge and the? They Milo? try to they try to plant that Milo right up against it. So you might have six feet of a walking path, and you can get a skinny four wheeler through there. Not one of these new four wheelers, but yeah. a skinny one. Yeah, that's about all. That's about all the room you got. Yeah, and then when you shoot one of these, that Milo's how tall? It's six feet in some spots. I mean, yeah. some of these pictures you'll see it's over my head. Yeah, so you're having to. 
are you probably just basically how are you pinpointing where you shot that deer? I, I knew um if i kept my eye on him and i knew based on where my barrel was i was just gonna leave it pointed in that same direction okay but when i called the farmer i said man you need to get over here but i i actually saw him plow through the milo once i made the shot he ran about 30 yards and it looked like a brahma bull in a china shop i mean I bet. there was a sea of milo just parting like moses parting the sea and then it all quit and i just pinpointed that spot and i stayed in the stand that time i did not get down i wanted to but i had to wait on him to come and it took about 30 very long minutes for him to get back to where i was so he could walk over there and um he said uh, you need to get down and come over here so i don't think you know what you've done <laughs> and i said what did i do I, I honestly i said to him i said did i make a mistake and he said oh no 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 because then i started thinking like why is it you know yeah he's second guessing it just happened so quick and all you can see is his head, but anyway. In 2016, that was your biggest? That was. And that yeah. was in and, October, right? What'd that you was say? September. 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 September 18th, yeah. yeah. And that was no wow. more Kansas hunting the rest of that year? That was it. Yeah. Yeah, tagged out. Yeah. And so you thought, at that point, you're, that's the biggest buck I'm probably ever going to kill. Absolutely. But the same year, well, let me let me bounce off of that. Is it, Jason goes to Iowa and shoots a 156-inch deer in the same year, correct? That is correct. And you killed a uh, 140 in Forsyth County that same no, year? No, in Fulton County, that was a 134. 134 in Fulton. Yeah, so Jason, the big buck hammer, <laughs> wow. has a four-buck season where he's killed – Probably your best buck for Cherokee County. Absolutely. One of your best bucks for Fulton County. Yeah. Your biggest buck ever in Kansas. And was that the biggest buck at that point you'd taken in Iowa? Uh, yes, actually it was. They got, so, some, they got something in the water over at Wallace. Yeah. So y'all yeah. talk about that horse you own, oh, Alex. I better pump your brakes. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was an emotional roller coaster leaving Georgia after shooting that deer with a bow and not finding him. Yeah, and, absolutely. And then just monitoring those cameras, and I really, I was pretty upset. I was pretty sick. Oh, you were. I, I, I talked to you. I talked to you yeah. weekly on that, and you were like, "Have you seen any pictures of him? Have you, you know, you caught a glimpse of him in the field or anything?" Yep. And that morning, you killed that deer. I remember you called me. You're like, "Dude, I got him on the ground. I'm coming to your house." And fortunately, I was home that day, yeah. and I, I got to experience that with you. So that was absolutely great. That was so, a heck, that was a heck of a year. Um, fast forward to so I know your favorite. Uh, your your favorite saying is your uh your next my favorite hunt's my next hunt. Your favorite hunt is your next hunt. Yes, sir. When you killed that deer in two thousand sixteen, does does anything ever register in your mind, man, I'm never gonna kill a bigger deer than that, but I wanna hunt a bigger deer than that. Are you when you go to Kansas, will you shoot a smaller deer? You know what? If it's a mature deer, it may not score as much. You yeah, know, we've got some big monster. I know a lot of people shoot a big deer, and they're like, "Yeah, next deer I'm shooting." But I, I, I done that a lot of years in Illinois. I shot a good deer, and then I'm like, "Well, I got to kill a bigger one." But you don't get those opportunities often because no. we got other people hunting there. So if you got if you see a good mature deer, and we can't let them get six, seven, eight years old because people come in and shotgun hunt. So right, you got to take those deer when you can. Absolutely. To me, when you find a mature deer, it doesn't matter what he scores. If you set your sights on hunting that deer for the season, I don't care if he's a hundred and twenty inch deer, because it's all relative to where you hunt. That's right. And right. so in North Georgia, I've hunted a hundred and twenty inch deer as hard as I've hunted some of these bucks. Right. And it meant just as much to me when I finally caught up to him. So I think you you just kind of set your expectations, make them realistic for where you're at, um, and if when you can pick that deer i get as much gratification out of that i don't care what the score is if, I, right. if i'm if i'm deliberately hunting you at that deer and i finally kill him that's closure that that's a win in my book that's right that's, that's, right. that's a huge deal yeah. so. 
So fast forward up to uh, 2018 when you started chasing. What did you call this deer? We called this deer HBT, Holy Brow Tines. The first time we got pictures of him, it was like, oh, my goodness. He had crab and, claws. And they and, and I don't think days. the pictures do it any justice to, I mean. No, I'm going I'm to take some close-ups, too, and post them on there. I mean, that's the brow. That's I've been standing there staring at that deer. That The brow tines are just ridiculous. It's like a serving spoon. We called him HBT. <laughs> Um, he was, like I said, we sent the jawbone off. He was eight years old when I killed him. He was seven in 2018 and he was tough to kill. He was very nocturnal. Um, I saw him one time in 21 days of hunting. I hunted him all muzzleloader season. I hunted him rifle season on the same tag. Never saw him in rifle season. Only saw him one time in muzzleloader. When I left, some bow hunters that we know came in to hunt him and they only laid eyes on him a couple times. He got all broke up and busted up, but he returned to the exact same farm I hunted him on in 2019. So once we knew that was a target deer, we surrounded that. They call it a quarter. It's 160 acres. We surrounded it with cameras, and we started closing in on his core area. And that deer really taught me more about early season hunt than anything else I know. He was living in the corn with several other big bucks that year. When he shed his velvet, he disappeared for two or three days, and I was heartbroken. And then he moved to the Milo because the Milo had just headed out in September. So my farmer went up there, scooped up all the cameras we had on the corn, moved them up to the Milo. We started getting getting consistent pictures of him again. The the Not the problem. This is really hard to even say this. But we had a four-year-old deer on this same farm I showed you all some pictures of. He's a 182-inch deer, but he's only four years old. And open at night, I thought he walked out on me and was headed to the corn pile through the Milo, and it was HPT. So I get this text going <laughs> off in my pocket. It's two minutes past legal shooting light. I look down, slip the phone out, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's HBT. And he's 80 yards away, and I can't even see him. It's, it's dark. and So I had to let him eat on opening night, knowing that I've chased this deer you know, for so long, got a lot of hours, resources, just a lot invested in him right. at this point. I'm ready to kill this deer. And he's on the corn pile, and I can't do anything about it. So i got to wait and let him finish. He's back out through the Milo. He sounds like a train moving through there. So it wasn't. It didn't bother you to get down. No, I let him walk walk off. I, I stayed yeah. way later than I normally typically would have, but yeah. I let him get out of there because he was going straight up a waterway. He was bedding on the backside of a pond, and he was coming straight down that waterway to the corn pile and hitting the Milo in between. So the second night, he read the script and he did the exact same thing. I had the camera running, and I'm trying to film him coming out through there. Well, it was windy. I mean, it's probably 20-mile-an-hour wind coming out of the south, and it's 91 degrees. The most unrealistic, ideal conditions you can expect to kill a big deer. I mean, most, I'm running a thermocell on two sides of this stand just to keep mosquitoes off of me. That might as well be the state bird in Kansas. I mean, they can stand <laughs> flat-footed and breed a turkey, those mosquitoes they got. So I'm, I'm running these thermocells. I'm, I'm swatting mosquitoes. They're getting real bad at dark, and this young buck comes up behind me, walks right underneath me, and heads to the corn pile and and scares HBT, spooks him. And he comes running through the Milo, and I've got the camera on him. And I think I'm about to self-film a 200-inch deer on camera and kill him. And as soon as I bear down on the on the tripod, on the shooting rail, the camera swings out to the right, swings into the bush, into the uh, limbs. I pull the trigger. You hear me shoot on camera. I grab the camera, pull it back over my face, and I just, I lost it. You know, I'm telling the whole story about how many days and how many hours and going through the whole thing, but I didn't get the shot on camera at all. That was killer. And ever since then, I've been fighting a little camera phobia. I'll be honest with you. That's been tough for me. How far was he? 
60 yards. 60 yards? Oh, yeah. Wow. 60 yards away. Now, was that the same thing? He was in the Milo. Did you have to call the farmer? I did. I dropped him, but this year, I guess because they'd had a worse drought, it wasn't as high. It was probably five foot. I could see where he fell. <clears throat> so I got down, and I went over, and I'm trying to FaceTime my wife, and I'm trying to call people, <clears throat> and I'm in that one spot where I can't get anything to go out but a text message. Now, y'all have all been there before. Oh, yeah. You look down and you've got one bar. You know you if you make a phone call, it's iffy. You sure aren't getting a picture to go out. You sure aren't getting FaceTime. So, you know, we're used to all this technology now. And you, it's funny because you look down and you're actually upset that you can't do what you're trying to do with your phone at that moment in time, which is stupid because, you know, I've just killed the biggest buck of my life. But um, my farmer pulled up, and that was probably 30 minutes later. And, man, we just sat there hugging. We cried. It was as much a victory for him as it was for me. We had so much time and energy invested in this deer. And I'll be honest with you, it was a it was a tad bit bittersweet. I've never spent this much time chasing deer of that caliber. May not ever have the opportunity again. So when the chapter was closed and that story was done, it was a little bit bittersweet. Because I love the chase. Just, you know, the, the sure. final touch is pulling mm-hmm. the trigger. And that's, that's not near the fun. It's, it's the chase. So. How, how far was that from the deer you killed in 2016? About 16 miles. Okay. Two different farms. Okay. Yeah. About 16 miles. Okay. So. Yeah, I've always wondered that after you hone in on a deer for year after year after year, and you finally get it to happen, is it, I guess it is kind of bittersweet. It really is. You're happy that it's over with, but you're like, man, you've come to know this deer. But it's over with. Yeah, it's over with. It's over with, you know. That that chapter's written. Yep. Yep. Uh, So, that is your biggest buck. Yes, sir. And you killed it with a muzzleloader, correct? That is correct. It scored 2-0. Two oh three and six eights. Two oh three and six eights. Mm-hmm. So just real quick, if you don't if you don't mind a share, we don't we won't go into the biggest bow kill, but what did the biggest what did it score? The biggest bow you've ever killed. The one with the biggest bow you've ever killed. I killed a non typical in Oklahoma that was one ninety eight. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so one ninety eight, one ninety nine and two oh three. Do you have a do you have a biggest one with a rifle? Um yeah, my biggest deer with a rifle came from Alberta. It's 160 inches. Alberta, 160. Yeah. Wow. I have five Boone and Crockett's, three of which came with a bow, two with a muzzleloader, and 15 Pope and Young's with a bow, and then only two rifle kills. I don't pick up the rifle that much anymore. What would you think if you went back to 2000 and somebody told Jason that he'd have his largest, biggest deer with a muzzleloader? Nick, I'd probably start laughing. I, I wouldn't <laughs> have believed it, you know. Yeah. I wouldn't have believed it. Uh, I've been truly blessed and to be able to share it with y'all is something else too I really do enjoy this I appreciate y'all having me on and and let me share this and and I don't want anybody out there to think this is some sort of bragging platform because it's not but um, those have all been earned and like I said for every one of those stories that are hanging on that wall there's half a dozen if not a dozen failures to go along with it and mistakes that we've learned from I'm sure there's a lot of heartache being away from home absolutely and being time there's probably a lot of things that you've missed in your life that probably came up and do you have somebody um, like we we've covered this before in the past on this? So when you when you do shoot those deer, is there somebody special that comes to mind? Yeah, it's my wife. Yeah, yeah, she's yeah. the one at home with the kids, making sure that you know a disease taken care of on yeah. the home front. Yeah, and uh, so she's always my first call. That's awesome, man. Yeah. And I don't know what else you got to add, Alex. Well, I was going to say that. Um, go, go ahead, ahead, Cody. Well, I just I just wondered. For you know somebody as passionate as you, you know that chapter's closed and everything. Do you you got a you got a hit list buck? You're gonna is twenty twenty one. You you already know that you're gonna be targeting. Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, we've got. <laughs> I'll be, we do. Yeah. That's all you got to say. Yes, sir. Yeah, that'll be another episode. I'll be. I'll, you know, I just hope he hangs around, but it's. We might have to pull a Liam Neeson. I'm going to find you, and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Jason, and, and it's been a pleasure having you on uh, and to go through all this stuff. Um, the, the last question I've got, you know, what are you most thankful for that that's taught you over the years of hunting? I mean, I, I know there's a lot that comes to mind, but what what is the one thing that you're most thankful for as it pertains to, to that you've gotten out of hunting through your career? That's a great question. You know, as we all get connected to these cell phones these days and the hustle and bustle of life, my deconnection is sitting in the stand. That's usually my time where I spend a few minutes with God. Every morning, Amen. every evening, mm-hmm. I'm going to pray. I'm going to be thankful for my healthy family, yep. thankful for my good friends that I've got, and give the big man above the credit that he deserves. Because truly, that's, I mean, that, at the end of the day, he deserves all the glory. And yep. that's where I spend my time to reflect. Everybody has a different place they reflect. That's right. Some people go to their basement. Some people step outside. Some people have a favorite park bench. And mine's up that tree in a, in a stand, watching the next. I think that's a lot of us. Yeah, that's twenty feet us. closer to God. Absolutely, yeah. where you find yeah. yourself. Yeah. And, and and I I tried not to text me because I have buddies that get upset with me because I don't answer texts quickly when I'm in the stand because that is my reflection. That's the only time I get to decompress from one of these these devices, honestly. Yeah. Away from from business and from sales and all that, and oh, that yeah. is my favorite thing about hunting is just getting out there. Because no matter how many years go by, no matter how many inches we shoot, no matter how many kids we teach and take hunting, every sunrise is still different, and every sunset is different. And if we don't take a few minutes to just appreciate that, what are we doing? Yeah, that's what we talked about before. It could be the last one. It could be the last set. Absolutely. So don't take them for granted. But I will – man, we're going to get you back on so many times. I mean, like I said, (laughs) we're just now starting this off, and I have have truly seen a different side. I mean, I know – you know, we've met playing golf and stuff in the tournament, but I have truly – it's been a blessing for you to come over here well, and share your stories, and, and and I want to get you back on. I know you're, I know you're turkey hunter, and, and – uh, Not a good one. We're going to get some turkey hunting in here. That sounds so, like fun. So I know we're going to get you back a lot. So I appreciate you coming over and stopping by and appreciate you bringing those awesome wings. Yes, sir. Thank you all for yeah, having me. Yeah, the wings were good. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad you, you, know, you got to come and uh, finally got to meet you. You know, we – had some correspondence online and stuff but it was finally nice to meet you in person and absolutely definitely everything alex led you up to be um well, and uh hopefully we can uh <laughs> hey i heard heard mention of an elk hunt alex ain't interested so uh was <laughs> oh, that right yeah okay. so you might have to hit you we might <laughs> put something together get him on and get him to talk about his successful elk we got and i mean we'll get you on next time you killed a mule deer this year did you mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that's good more to come. <laughs> More to come, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, as it's went through, you know, the the successes and the failures and the, the key points that, you know, you've been able to share with us as far as, you know, all the tips and things, there's going to be a lot of people that get a lot from it. But, man, I just want to tell you thank you. Well, um, you are welcome. Thank you. It's been, a, it's been a good year for me from from where I started, you know, season. Absolutely. And uh, we got a lot in common with that, and I know how you feel. Yeah, it's uh, – I'll never forget, you know – Cody and Nick, they were they were close with me during those hard times. But uh, you don't know what it meant to me for you to call me on those days when I was talking about you know not getting to hunt again and absolutely things like that. But you 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 meant a lot to me. Well, same here, Alex. And I, I'll never forget calling you from uh, from Illinois, sitting on that tailgate, waiting on Cody to come out of the woods and get to tell you about my deer this year. <laughs> those so. are my favorite phone calls too. Um, it meant a lot to me, and you know. 
as as anybody out there that's killed big deer, you're as humble a guy and uh, as as anybody could ask to to talk to. So definitely appreciate you, man. Absolutely, I appreciate you guys having me on. This has been a lot of fun, and I hope we get to do it again. Yo, it's going oh, to happen again. Lot, I mean, lot. it's going to happen again. You're going to have to put more. up with us a lot because I think a lot of people will come into this with a with a better understanding of where you're coming from, and you know, you're you're so humble in your approach to to killing deer and and uh, and what you're chasing next, and you know that key saying you always throw out there that uh, your your neck your favorite hunt is your next one. You know that resonated very well with me this year, and I, I stayed in that and. Uh, it you know I always told you you know we we go out there and this year it it did mean something more to me and I know it did to you you yes, know sir. we talked all year long and Cody he was right there by my side the whole way through it all and uh, and Nick he was right there with me as well so it's been it's been a, a special year and you know we're getting down to Christmas time yep and for me the, you know that that's the biggest thing that I can be thankful for to be able to get back to to my family and with everything that's going on in the world right now and people not getting to see their families at Christmas time, there's been Christmas parties canceled. You know, we're fortunate enough to be able to come into these avenues and share our thoughts as not as hunters, not as, um, not as anything other than try to be stewards for God and, you know, and appreciate those times that we get to put into this, this thing. And, And I hope somebody can go from this and not only take from it a key to success from hunting, but take from it a key to success of life. As you said, you know, that's your reflection time and getting out there and being able to, uh, to, (laughs) to get back in those moments and, uh, shout out to, uh, to, to everybody out there that's, that's going through a hard time, you know, find yourself a good place to find a spot to reflect on. And, uh, I I promise you, if you get up that tree and and you get, you know, get a little bit closer to God, you'll, you'll be much better off. So, um, Jason Lewis, I can't thank you enough for coming on to the, to the show again. Um, it's our, it's our second episode and it doesn't feel like it's been, uh, doesn't feel like it's been enough time. And I don't think there's ever enough time for a conversation like this with a guy like you. So for everybody over at talk about it outdoors, we want to invite you over to all our social media platforms. Make sure you go over, share, like, and, uh, give us some comments on all of the, uh, the shows. As well, if you would, when you hear these episodes on iTunes or on uh, any of the platforms that you can listen to the pod podcast on, leave us a review on what you thought about it. Those are places that we can get more feedback, not directly related to our social media platforms, but we can get some reviews on uh, the Google Podcast, on the iHeartRadio, on the iTunes, and you can go into those and you can review and rate our podcast. And all that does is gives us a little bit better understanding about what you want to hear. And after you listen to this, I know we've got some Shooting Straight episodes coming up, and I'm sure down the road in the not-near-distant future, we're going to have to get Jason back on because he's going to have to bring some of those Wilkes Meat Market wings back. You got that right. He's, he's coming from that side <laughs> maybe, of town. Maybe Wilkes Meat Market's will throw something over this Yeah, way. Yeah, Wilkes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all holler at us on that. But um, at Jason Lewis, Lone Wolf Custom Gear, White Tail Addiction, pro staff member, and uh, all-around humble guy. For everybody at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you. We want to wish you and your family a Merry Christmas, a Happy New Year, and we hope to get into 2021 and build on this platform. So, as always, we want to remind you to smile as you go, and don't forget to mount the memories. <laughs>